think about microwave chimichangas from Costco. I think about the price is right. I think about the young and the restless being recorded every day on a VCR. I think about seeing readers' digests and TV guides. When I was there, when we were gathered there, we were a family. But I also remember the ways that people left grandma's house and never came back. I remember the ways that kids felt scorned. I remember the ways that uncles felt spurned and never returned. And as a kid, I always wondered why would uncle so-and-so never come back? Why would you not come back to this magical place? Why would you reject all of the love that there is in grandma's house? Who would reject grandma's house? Well, you know who would reject grandma's house? The people of God would reject grandma's house. The temple leaders especially rejected Big Mama's house. They don't seem to want what Big Mama has to give. And Jesus seems kind of disappointed about it. We are in this series, Making Room, in the season of Lent, where we are um, hopefully extending and receiving this invitation to, as the words say, make room for some things. And in Luke 13, Jesus is lamenting that the people of God, that the temple leaders, have not made room. Earlier in the year, we talked about the Holy Spirit uh, being uh, provocative. And in Luke chapter 13, Jesus is doing the work of the Spirit and is being provocative. He ends up around the Jerusalem area-ish or on the way there, and he sees this fig tree, and he's like, wait, it's not bearing fruit. Cut it down. He was alluding to the temple. <laughs> he was being provocative. He was saying, if this institution will not be the thing that God has intended it to be, then maybe we should take an axe to it. Just maybe. Seems harsh. And then he goes on and talks about these parables. You've heard about the parable of the mustard seed or the parable of the yeast. Those also appear in Luke chapter 13. And it's this interesting dynamic where Jesus is saying, you know, this, 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 this community of creation, this way that God moves is small. It's unassuming, but it will be everywhere. But then in Luke chapter 13, Jesus also talks about the narrow gate. And isn't it ironic, friends, that a thing that starts small and ends up everywhere would be a thing that people would have a hard time entering. And at that point, after being provocative over and over again, some concerned Pharisees, there were some concerned Pharisees, friends, some concerned Pharisees come and they say, I want to make sure I get this right. Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Herod wants to kill you. They're saying, Jesus, run away. Protect yourself. Herod, 
The one who is our representative to the empire wants to kill you just like he killed your friend and baptizer, John. He's coming after you. Sure, Jesus, you may have plans, but you need to consider that Rome's plans include your demise. You need to change your plans to conform to Rome's plans. And would you know the next words he says? I just want to get to this. Go and tell that fox for me. Go and tell that fox for me. Oh, Jesus is spicy. I like it. This was not like a compliment, by the way. Just, just to be clear, this is not a compliment. Um, he, he was uh, definitely not complimenting Herod by calling him a fox. And we will see why soon enough. Go and tell that fox for me. And basically in verses 33, verse 33, um, excuse me, 32 and 33, Jesus is like, I got plans. I got plans. And you know what? My plans include a particular kind of ministry. I'm going to go do it. I'll be where I want to be. I'm going to be where I want to be. But you know what? When it's time, I will come back to this place. I will come back to this place that kills prophets. I will come back to this place and stones every messenger sent to them. And then we get the lament. And I will read it again, and I want you to hear it as a lament. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Can you hear the pain? Can you hear it? Jesus has sort of two laments here. First is this lament over this place. Jerusalem was seen idealistically by all of the people of God as this sort of magical place where goodness and rightness and justice and peace were happening. And Jesus is like, no, this is a murderous place. This is a place where you have forgotten who God is and who you are. You see, the prophets were regularly sent to proclaim that people come back to God and repent of their idolatry, the way that they have raised up other gods, and their injustice, the way that they have denigrated the image of God in the rest of creation. And Jesus says, no, as, as this is a place where when we send people out of love, you've killed them. This is, not, this is not a paradise. This is a place where the prophets get killed. Why is it that the temple seems to violently come against those who call for it to be better? Why? And then in this fantastic turn, the lament sort of takes a, a left turn at a place that surely would shock its listeners. How often have I desired to gather your children as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you 
were not willing. Another way to translate you were not willing is a parallel to that. See, how often have I desired to gather you, but you did not desire me. That word willing is actually the root for desire. How often did I desire you, and you did not desire me? It seems as though this image of gathering, this image of a mother hen gathering, seems to be an apt image, an apt metaphor, an apt description for the way that God has tried to prophetically engage God's people. It seems as though Jesus thinks that this is an appropriate way to describe what God has been trying to do. And it seems as though it is also appropriate to say that they have said, no, thank you. They have said, no, thank you to mother hen gathering. In this moment, as with many other moments, Jesus is trying to get the people's attention. Here is Jesus, not just a prophet, but Christ who's come to be with us in the flesh, here to call God's people, especially the leaders of the temple, back to God's self and away from systems of abuse and oppression that make them look more like Caesar's people. But as Christ draws near to Mother God's people, as a place Uh, to a place of repentance, they have said, we don't want you. They have rejected the mothering of God who longs to draw near, to remind them of who they are and lead them to a better place. The people of God have rejected their mother. I will say that um, this text caught me by surprise. I didn't know it was coming. I did not look into it too deeply. When Erina and I sit down to do our sermon planning, we just sign up for dates. That's it. And we generally decide we're doing the lectionary. And I read this, and I was floored, and I was reminded, and I was floored again. The first reason I was floored is because when I look back on the last 10 years of living in America, it feels like God has been trying to mother us. It feels like there have been ample opportunities for us to experience the mother hen gather us up and remind us who we are, how we have been worshiping things that destroy us and choosing into the denigration of others. It feels that way. I just kept thinking of things. I kept thinking of all the mothers who have lost their black children to state-sanctioned violence and all the ways they have courageously stood up and said no more. I thought of Alicia Garza and Patrice Cullors and Opal Tometi, who started Black Lives Matter. I thought of the women that were murdered in Atlanta and the ways that their families and the advocates both before and after that have said this has been happening for a long time and it must stop. I thought of Greta Thunberg, a teenager who has called the world powers to account and said, stop killing this earth. 
I thought of Tarana Burke and the Me Too movement and all of the ripples of the movements where God, the mother, has come and said, come back. You have forgotten who you are. You have forgotten who I am and to whom you belong. Come back. But all around, I can hear the voices of rejection sounding like calls for more police, the banning of books that display non-white perspectives, the calls to drill more oil, the silencing and shunning of victims of gender-based discrimination and violence, the threats of violence to those very people who have said no more. We are still rejecting our mother. Sure, there is a collective invitation in this. I always like to think, what is the collective invitation? And yes, I do believe the collective invitation is for us to stop ignoring, stop denigrating our mother. To hear the voice of Mother God calling us together. You know, when the hen calls the, the chicks together, we're all together. We're all touching at that point. We are all one people with this mother who says, I love you. I will protect you. Come to me. Yes, we do need to receive the prophetic mothering of God in this season, but maybe you're like me. And imagining God to be mother or imagining God mothering us is something that feels strange. Maybe it feels strange. You know, nobody told me it was strange. Somehow or another, as I began to wrestle with this in my own life several years ago, it just felt strange. Maybe, thank God, it does not feel strange. But for me, it felt strange. But then I think about the amount of suspicion and cynicism with which we are taught and encouraged to view any non-male voice of influence. And I think about the way that we have essentially, just like the slave masters did, been taught to read the patriarch's Bible, where we just scrub out all the references to God as any kind of non-male reference. We just scrub it out. We just don't read it. And in between those two things, I can see the ways that my imagination has been formed to be suspicious of a God who mothers, of a God who is mother. It seems clear to me that some, maybe many of us, might suffer from a fractured theological imagination that can only see God as violent, distant, and who identifies and destroys his enemies. Right, a God who responds to mistakes with more presence? That's weak. A God who knows how vulnerable we are to tyranny, who wants to protect us, is trying to keep us weak. A God who wants me to know that I am not alone in my suffering must be trying to make up for their inability to end my suffering. Right? In the midst of watching people that look like me, uh, get killed by police and others, I found myself in a dark place. I found myself in a dark place as I worked inside institutions whose well-meaning efforts to do justice were failing. 
I was tired. I was sinking into despair. Some of you met my spiritual director, Lanice. Um, was that last week? Was that just last week? Two weeks ago. Thank you. It's been long. It's just been long, friends. <laughs> Two weeks ago. And the way that she says it to me often is, you felt watched but never seen. I was tempted into a despair that I had not ever felt before in which I thought that God never liked me, that this black skin that God gave me was cursed, and that I was burdened because I had to live in a society that I knew would never actually receive me unless I changed everything I am to be pale, violent, and dominating. One day I brought all of this to prayer. And do you know where God took me? God took me to grandma's house. I had this image that I will never forget. I saw myself, I was maybe six or seven. I was sitting on the floor. I was sitting on the floor playing with some toys in my grandma's den. The shaggy carpet, the, you know, to me, the outdated couch. And I knew the whole room, the shelves built into the room you know, the door that leads to the bedroom and all the thing. I could see it clearly. I saw myself playing. And then I knew Grandma was behind me in her easy chair. And she was just rocking. And yeah, the TV was on, but I could see her watching me. I couldn't see it with my eyes, but I felt it because I felt her smile. Her smile felt like every hug and kiss she had ever given me. Her smile radiated through my body like every meal she had ever cooked me. Her smile filled me with a sense of purpose. Like every laugh, she offered my kid jokes. And in the midst of that, God simply said, I see you. I see you. I see you. Friends, yes, I am praying that each one of us and our land would make room for the God who mothers us, who gathers us close in to herself and to each other in a space in which we know we are safe. I'm also longing for each of us here and now to be healed of our fragmented theological imaginations that have been blocked from, be able to, from being able to both see and receive from Mother God. May we know the saving power and the tender affection of the mother hen who gathers us to protect us and to remind us who we are and to whom we belong. We belong to Mother God. We belong to each other. I want to give us just a minute to breathe, to consider what God might be wanting uh, to reveal to you in this space, and then we're going to respond in a song. Just take a minute to reflect, to breathe, to consider God's invitation.